Good evening. I think the cold has just slowed everyone down. When, when you leave, there will be about 10 people on the, on the sidewalk just frozen, right? And so, so just help them, turn them around and tell them they can go back to class. Right, right exactly, exactly. So we're going we're gonna to begin, and those who are coming will come in on, a part, on, on the part of our worship. Um, it's our privilege to have Dr. Strite with us this evening as the speaker. We will hear how God has worked in his life through the telling of his story. I am convinced. I am convinced. Hey! Shh! Thank you. <laughs> I can do that, right? Okay. Thank you. I am convinced that the most powerful witness that any Christian can share is the story of how God has worked in their life. Nothing more powerful, nothing more influential than the witness of God's work in somebody else's life. My, my hunch is, is that everybody in the room can tell, can, could name the name of someone whose life transformation made a difference in your life. Amen? So stand with me, we'll say our prayer. Hear my Lord, restore me again. Hear am I, Lord, restore me then. Here am I, Lord. Restore me. Let's pray. Amen. For centuries, people have used that word to declare your praise. Hallelujah. Praise to God. Praise the Lord. Accept our praise. Accept our hearts. Accept our lives. In exchange for all that you've done for us, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good evening. You warm enough? <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I, when I left the office this afternoon, it was snowing. And uh, as I drove a little north on Academy to uh, get something to eat, I thought the snow was going to get worse and worse and worse, and it did. And then on my way back down Academy, about an hour and 15 minutes later, I noticed the moon was suddenly coming into view. And then by the time I got to the Barnes & Noble, the roads were clear. And uh, the stars are glistening. Is that Colorado or is that, is that unusual or is that just Colorado? Well, thank you for clarifying that. This is Wednesday night, right? Now, those of you who grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, and I know many of you did not, but I suspect that the Church of the Nazarene was not unlike other evangelical churches in that Wednesday night, there was a service at the church, and it was typically called what? Thank you. Prayer meeting. And a part of the prayer meeting was prayer, but that certainly wasn't all that went on at prayer meeting. What else went on usually at prayer meeting? Well, they were off in another part of the church, the kids, the caravanners. Who said it? 
testimonies. Testimonies. And I always, when I first came into the church, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute, I was intrigued with that word. It sounded so legal, so jurisprudent. Testimony. Well, tonight I'm going to give you a little of my story, a little of my testimony, probably not unlike yours. And you know what? I think the idea, the concept of a testimony is still a solid and valued one. Because you know what it was? It was called accountability. Because you just stood right up in front of God and these witnesses and all these witnesses were listening to give your testimony or your account of your relationship with the Lord. Now I used to testify a lot. I have to admit, I, you know, I came out of my mother's womb a joiner. I just signed up. And so if you were supposed to testify at church, I would testify. But you see, I didn't, I wasn't reared in the church, so I had to learn that. But when I got into the church, I used to testify a lot. In fact, when I was a teenager in a small southern Nazarene church, I testified every time the pastor asked for testimonies. Now bear in mind, this had absolutely nothing to do with my level of spirituality. But it had everything to do with peer pressure. Not from the other teenagers, but from the saints in the church, who if you did not testify, gave you the eye. And not only did you get the eye, but you were added to numerous prayer lists from that night on. So I just thought, testify. Again, that was accountability. That made an impact on me as a 15-year-old kid. I believe that the power of the testimony is great. In fact, in Scripture, do we not read these words? And I quote, They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the what? Word of their testimony. Unlike many of you, and like some of you, I did not grow up in a Christian home. My father was killed in a tragic automobile accident when I was two years old, leaving my mother, who was 27, with four boys. My oldest brother was nine, I was two, mother was 27, had never worked outside the home, and had an eighth grade education. Because of that trauma, and because my mother didn't really quite know what to do, several of us boys went to live with her mother, our grandmother. And a wonderful lady, wonderful lady, but you know what? My grandmother was quite skeptical of organized religion the church. Didn't quite know what to do with it. And the closest that she would ever come to having any kind of an affiliation with the church, she sometimes would say, I lean toward the Methodists. That's safe. 
to lean one direction but never quite get there. We were never encouraged to attend church, actually. But for some reason, I, I always tagged along with a friend or somebody somewhere for vacation Bible school, for special events. And you know, along the way I learned the 23rd Psalm, John 3.16, the Lord's Prayer, and some very basic things about the Christian faith. Now in school, on the other hand, my grandmother really encouraged us to do well and to get in there and be a part and to join, to sign up, and I did. And so as time went on in school, I, along with several of my friends, we had a plan. Our plan was to do well in junior high school and in high school and then to finish high school in a blaze of glory before heading to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Now that sounded like a really civilized plan. Still sounds like a pretty civilized plan to me. Well, you know what? The best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go awry and that's what happened to my plan. My plan was short-lived. And you might ask, well, what happened, Gary, to change your plan? In the fall of my sophomore year in high school, I was introduced to a small group of people who in turn introduced me to a person who indeed changed my life. A cousin of mine invited me to go with her to what she called a young people's meeting at a church in town to which she had been invited a few weeks earlier. Now remember, I was a joiner. I had nothing better to do. I didn't want to be around the house, so I said, sure, I'll go. I was more than mildly shocked, my friends, when we pulled up in front of what was not a church building at all, but rather the annex to the Jones Funeral Home. No joke. And I had been to the Jones Funeral Home, but not for church. Well, my cousin quickly explained that the church was meeting in the chapel of the funeral home temporarily while they got their finances in order to build a church. Sound familiar, NBC students? Who knows where you might be preaching in the days ahead. No stained glass, no carpet, no organ, no choir, no Sunday school rooms, just a plain open area in that annex with crude benches, really crude, uncomfortable benches, and a handful of friendly people. That was Gary Streit's introduction to the Church of the Nazarene. Well, after getting over the shock of being at a young people's meeting at the funeral home, <laughs> I noticed that even though there were maybe 20 people there, every one of them was extremely friendly to me. Coming up, who are you? So good to have you. Hugging me and just really seeming to be interested in me. I was immediately struck by their overt interest 
in this 15-year-old kid who just happened in off the street. Well, not only was everybody there in the service who came in that small, small uh, area, but it seemed as if everybody had brought a child or two. There were a lot of screaming kids, I remember. Babies, just crying. That was another first impression. Well, a fine young pastor and his wife had come a year or two earlier to serve this church. Having come, having just graduated from Nazarene Theological Seminary, several years earlier with a promise to the district superintendent that they would come and plant a church in Winchester, Virginia, and would stay until they got a church building built. Be careful what you promise. I suspect that they had no idea that it would take nine years to dig out a work, to raise some money, and to get a building established. That pastor, for those nine years, not only did he pastor and dig out a church and build a building, he taught school full-time to support himself, his family, his wife, and two children. I learned that that energetic young pastor during those years had gotten numerous calls from other churches both on that district and beyond that district to come and pastor a real church, <laughs> not meeting in a funeral home, who could pay him a salary. But they chose to do what they felt God had called them to do and to stay and to get that church established. Well, he and his wife, the pastor and his wife, took a very special interest in me. They would visit me at home. They would come to the high school and see me do things that nobody else, not even my family, came to the school to see me do. They were always on the front row, right down there where Ter uh, Terry Lambright is. That really made an impression on this young boy. He preached, and probably two or three months after that first visit, I kept going back, by the way, Sunday nights only, young people's meetings, but then after young people's meeting, uh, guess what, they had church. And so that particular Sunday night, about three months after my first visit, on the third verse of where he leads me, I will follow. I responded to the very simple gospel message that he had preached. I responded by going forward at his invitation to kneel at a very makeshift altar. I didn't really know what I was doing. But he preached, I felt a tug, and I did what he encouraged me to do. I went forward and I knelt. Well, I don't know about you. Well, I do know. You're so young. You don't remember a lot of the stuff that I'm getting ready to tell you about. But in that particular church, when somebody went forward to pray, you didn't go forward alone. The saints of the church, few as they may have been, came forward with you to help you pray through. Amen. Ever heard that? Pray through. I didn't know what that was all about. Well, one dear lady, Sister Myrtle Miller, remember her. Sister Myrtle Miller. She chose me. 
And she came down and she got right up against me, put her arm around me, hovered up close, and she began to pray like I had never heard anyone pray before. In fact, she prayed convinced that God was deaf. <laughs> and that if she didn't stop praying soon, I was going to be. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she hugged and she hugged and she hugged and then all of a sudden she yelled in a prayer, God save him and send him to Africa. <laughs> I must confess at that point, I had doubts about the people called Nazarenes. <laughs> Africa. That sounded like a long way from Winchester, Virginia. Fortunately for me, that wise young pastor explained to me as he was taking me home from church that night, yeah, by the way, the pastor picked me up for church and drove me home along with a carload of other people that they picked up and took home. But he explained to me that Mrs. Miller was really not out of her mind. He said, Gary, let me tell you what she was praying. She was praying that God would do at least what in her mind was the ultimate that he would save you, which she knew he would do, but then call you to what to her was the absolute best call in the world, that of missions. She'd read every missionary book that had come out of Kansas City. So that was a compliment, and I took it as a compliment. But wasn't it great to have a pastor who explained things to me? Now, that night there was another seeker at the altar. I was over on this side. I was 15. There was another seeker, a little boy, over on that side of the altar. He was six years old. Remember him. I'll tell you about him in just a bit. Well, from that night on, after I was saved, I, along with the few other teenagers in that church, we were thoroughly discipled. Is that the word we use these days? by that pastor and his wife. They were on our trail. We could not get away from them. In the best sense of it, they took us to everything that was going on on our district. They took us to revivals up the street, up the corner, on the zone rally. They took us everywhere they could to get us immersed in the work of the church and in the work of the kingdom and to strengthen our ties with the church. Because most of us were stragglers. Most of us had just shown up for the youth meeting somewhere along the way. They talked about, get this, remember the plan, William and Mary? Well, they kept talking about the importance of a Nazarene college as being the only, only acceptable option for Nazarene young people. They just didn't even listen to that other plan. In fact, they drove four of us 600 miles from Winchester to visit the regional college that we supported, our church supported. 
On the way back from that visit, it was called a motorcade in those days, on the way back, the pastor's wife filled out my application for college. I never filled out an application to go to college. She filled it out. She was in the front seat asking us questions, and she was filling out the app. Imagine my disappointment when I found out that that school was not only not in Williamsburg, Virginia, but it was not very big and certainly not well known and certainly not a part of the plan that I and my friends had. Remember, my plans were different, the Ivy League for me. I am convinced tonight that the direction that my life has taken is in large part due to the love and concern, prayers and absolute attention given to me by this godly pastor and his wife and their family and those few wonderful Christian folk in that home mission church that I wandered into on that particular Sunday night. Yes, I decided to go where that application went and I went to that Nazarene college. And because of that decision, you see, I met that young woman from North Carolina who was to become my wife and is my wife. It was during those years at that school that Christ became not only my Savior but became the Lord of my life. It was there that I was sanctified. In the fall revival of my freshman year, C. William Fisher was the evangelist. I still can sense, I can still feel the tug that night as Christ was calling me to something more than what I had. It was during those college days that I was really impressed with the ministry of the faculty and the administration at that school and the seeds were being planted for my own involvement in the enterprise of Christian higher education. I marvel. I marvel tonight at the goodness of the Lord in my life and I have been aware of his definite leadership from those early days on. I thank him for those who obeyed Christ's call to plant that church in that little town, in that funeral home, in adverse circumstances where there were no real reasons why that church should make it. I thank God for the faithfulness of that pastor and his wife. For 30 years or more, my life has gone in an entirely different direction because of a decision that I made on that Sunday night at that makeshift altar in a highly unlikely place. Robert Frost, the American author, captures some of this when he talks about the two roads, remember, diverging in a wood. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. By the way, you remember I mentioned that there was another seeker at the altar that night? A six-year-old boy. Well, he happened to be the preacher's younger son, Jimmy. Well, as was the custom in those days, not only did people come down to help you pray through, but after you prayed through, guess what? You stood up, you turned around, and you gave a testimony as to what the Lord had done for you. I mean, you couldn't get off the hook, folks. 
So, I, I didn't really have much to say. I hadn't grown up in that culture, and so I, I think I said what I'd heard a few other people say. Uh, the Lord has saved me, I love him, I want to go all the way with him, or, or something like that. Not very impressive, not eloquent. Well, Jimmy, he stood up, and, and he said, the Lord has saved me and has called me to be a medical missionary. And I thought, Mrs. Miller, you were praying with the wrong kid. <laughs> he was your missionary. When he said that, I can still remember Myrtle Miller, because she was still hovering close to me, saying, Lord, make it so. Imagine, imagine the emotion that I felt just a few years back. When one morning as I was getting ready for school, Marla said, Gary, come quick, come quick. I ran out of the bathroom, into the bedroom, the TV. And there, on the screen, was Bryant Gumbel interviewing little Jimmy, now Dr. James Radcliffe, director of Nazarene Missions in Papua New Guinea. Now, I knew that he was there, and I wasn't, that wasn't the first time that I had heard that I knew I had followed Jim. But there, in front of millions of people throughout the nation, that young boy, little Jimmy, kneeling at that makeshift altar in the annex of the Jones Funeral Home, was a living testimony to the faithfulness of God. Amen. Folks, we never know where the Lord's going to show up on an October night in an unlikely place and what work he just might get done because of faithful women and men who hear a call and follow the Lord's lead in obeying that call. I'm a debtor. I am a debtor. I'm a debtor to Christ who changed my life. I'm a debtor to the church for providing me the opportunity to minister to so many people over the years and for this wonderful opportunity to be here at Nazarene Bible College. I'm a debtor to Nazarene Higher Education for providing me with the opportunity to prepare to do that. I'm a debtor to give as I have received. You see, Nazarene Bible College was the dream of some folk 45 years or so ago. I walked around the circle today and I was thinking about some of those folk, those names that appear on these buildings, those, build, those buildings aren't named just so you have a, a point of reference. Sanders Trimble, Oliver, Strickland, Williamson, Leist, Powers. Today, we drink from wells 
that we did not dig. We reap the benefits of others who have paid a price to obey the call of Christ upon their lives. Each of us, each of us has a story. And each of us needs to tell that story as an affirmation for what Christ does, has done, and continues to do with his people. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, all the, all the winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, the spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know where you are in your journey tonight. I don't know how discouraged you are tonight. I don't know how encouraged you are tonight, but I am here to say to you, God does lead us as we obey him. And God puts in our paths those significant women and men who make a difference in our lives. Take advantage right here on this campus. As we interact, as we have conversations, as we eat lunch, as we pray, as we fuss, as we cry together, as we laugh together, take advantage of how the Lord uses NBC to further his kingdom and what he has in store for you as you follow his lead. Can we sing that song, Dr. Light? I think it would be a great way for us to testify to God's faithfulness. Father, we pray that after it's all said and done, that indeed those will be the words, Jesus led us all the way. Doesn't have to be too complicated. It simply means that we say yes today, and then yes again tomorrow, and yes the day after as you lead us, as you guide us, as you direct us, may the Spirit of God rest upon Nazarene Bible College, upon these our precious students, on these our precious faculty, on everything that goes on here. May we indeed have the feeling that you are leading us. And all of his people on this Wednesday night in prayer meeting said, Amen. Go in peace.